Well, welcome everybody. Um, hope everybody enjoyed the first session. Um, I'll do my best. You know, this. It, I don't know if I have the the rougher session or if Matthew will have the rougher session because mine's before lunch. So you guys might be like, okay, I'm, I'm getting hungry. We need to eat soon. And then when Matthew comes up, you guys might be a little bit sleepy after eating. So we'll see who, who has the, the tougher session. But my name is Charlton Swayze. Uh, I'm excited to, to be able to uh, meet you this week, get to know some of you, and hopefully be able to, to share some things with you. Um, I'm going to draw a lot on my own uh, limited experience and share stories with you and hopefully be able to, to give you some tools. Each, <clears throat> each session um, hopefully will feed into itself. Um, obviously, Brother Finney's, the whole theme of the week is discipleship. Brother Finney is speaking, as you know, on how to study like a disciple. Uh, my sessions are on how to make disciples, and Matthew's sessions are how to be a disciple. And those are all very interconnected with each other. And so hopefully we can all have a, a better vision and a better um, idea of how we, the steps, proactive steps we can take in our own spiritual journey and our faith walk uh, to be effective for Christ and his kingdom. So <clears throat> today is going to be a little bit of an introduction. Um, the title is A Missing Link. And I want to begin with Revelation chapter 12, 10 through 11 says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. <clears throat> so one thing that I want to highlight this week and as I begin today is the power of our testimony, the power of each of your testimonies. And it's not about selfishness. And, and things that you've done, but the work that Christ has done in your lives and hearts, the things that he has done to accomplish what he has on the cross through his life, through his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the ascension, and what that has afforded to each and every one of us. And, and we should proudly go out and proclaim that to others. And that's a very, very powerful tool. And I'll just set that at, at the outset. Um, I don't think that there's a, there's a hidden playbook and we got to figure out the, the, the right plays and the right moves. Simply, if we talk about Jesus, we love others, and we share our testimony, the work that God has done in our, our lives and our hearts and in our families, um, we can allow God and the Holy Spirit to work through that to see other people come to Christ and have their lives changed. So I want to start with the power of testimony. Um, I'll, I'll get into a little bit of, of our story um, here in just a, a bit, but these are some dear brothers and sisters in the, the church and followers of the way church there in Kampala. And we just recently, um, about, I guess, maybe a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, um, had a baptism there, and her name is, is Teddy here, and she was uh, weeping over her sin as she was sharing, as she was preparing 
to go into the waters of baptism. She was sharing about her life and weeping over her sin and the things, the, the way that she used to walk and how she's wanting to go into these waters and receive the newness of life that Christ brings through baptism. And as she shared, um, it was very moving because one of the things that caused her to really think about the need to change in her life was the power of this brother's testimony. Um, his name, the one being baptized there, his name is Francis. And Francis uh, grew up in a very poor part of Uganda. He comes from a tribe that in many ways is looked down upon by the other tribes in Uganda. And within this tribe, there's a lot of drunkenness and living on the streets and begging and, and just chronic poverty that follows a lot of people within this tribe and especially the, the areas of Uganda that they live in. And he, before he, before he gave his life to Christ and, and um, became a, a brother in the church and was baptized, he was a drunkard. He would drink, um, he would beg, he would wander around and, and uh, not have any aim in life except for to be on the streets and, and do what he's seen his own father do and, and what they've done before them. And just it's a continuous cycle. And as he began to hear the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God and understand that God has a reason for having humanity in this world and that, that there's an invitation to play a part in this grand story that God is, is building and the opportunity to have a new life and be able to walk in a way that God has ultimately created for humanity, um, he began to see the need to repent of his own sin. And so one day, as he was, there's a place uh, in Antioch, or sorry, in Uganda um, called Antioch Christian Resource Center. And uh, there's a lot of Bible studies and different things that happen there. And one day they were locked out of the facility. They were able to make it in the gate, but the doors to the building were locked. And so they found themselves sitting on the patio and not sure what to do while they wait for someone to come with the keys. And Francis just began to share his testimony with Teddy about the brokenness in his life and the addiction to alcohol and, and the things that he has seen uh, the, the, the damage that he has seen that create not only in his own life but his family and, and how it's fractured relationships and how he was able to leave all that at the foot of the cross, to be able to turn his life from those things and to walk in a new way of life that Christ calls us to. And she shared in her testimony how that was a turning point for her. That, you know, she was, she was hearing, she had been coming to Antioch, she had been hearing a lot of the, the teachings about, about loving your enemy, uh, hearing the teachings about how uh, God wants to work in, in your life and in your heart and that we're created for a purpose. And so all of those things are, are good, but the point that actually touched her was, was hearing how God actually transformed him and how he was able to leave those things and be able to uh, walk in a new way of life. And so I want to highlight that, that the power of your testimony is very powerful. And once again, it's not about to point to things that, that you have done. Like we should be, it, it might be uncomfortable. And I would, I would venture to say that if, if, I were to, if we were to survey the room, we might all say it's a little bit uncomfortable with 
to share our story with somebody. Maybe because of the brokenness, maybe because we're just nervous to, to talk to other people. But we should understand that God has given us a testimony and he wants us to go and share it out. And it's interesting, if you think about um, the, the woman at the well, you know, when Jesus comes and engages in conversation with her, and how does she respond to him, to Jesus? In that moment, when, when he, um, after he's had this exchange, what, what's her response? She runs off and does what? Go ahead. Tells everyone, right? She runs off and says, hey, here's someone who told me everything I've ever done wrong. Like, who's going to be excited about that typically? I, you know, typically we, we want to we hide over the bad parts. We want to highlight the good things. But, but she recognizes that there's something different about this man. There's something different about Jesus. And he's told me everything I've ever done wrong. And I know that something has changed because I've met the Messiah. And that's, that's simply what this brother did. And that's simply what this sister did. And that's what each and every one of us need to do. And it's the way that we can be successful in making disciples is talking about the work that Jesus has done in our life and heart and the things that he wants to continue to do in and through us. So as already mentioned, my name is Charlton Swayze. Um, this is a picture of my family. I want to, to highlight them because they play a big part of my life, obviously. Um, my wife, I'm not able to do the things that I do um, without her support and her love and her sacrifice um, in our family to, to raise our children and to uh, co-labor alongside of me. Um, we have 10 children. We have four uh, biological and we have six adopted children from Uganda. Um, our oldest daughter is actually sitting in the audience, Carol. Um, I told her I'd try not to embarrass her, so <laughs> no problems. Um, but uh, yeah, we have uh, so four biological, six uh, adopted children, and uh, we have been on a journey. Um, as as we grew up, so I, I did not grow up in. Um, plain circles. I did grow up in a, in a Christian home, but a very um, Republican Christian home, <laughs> forgotten country, and, and uh, a very pro-military. Both my wife, uh, uh, her father, and both mine were, were in the military. Um, her dad flew helicopters. My dad jumped out of helicopters. Um, and so my brother was in the military, and so that would, that would have been uh, the, the realm that I grew, grew up in. Um, somewhat committed to uh, you know, I think the circles we grew up in were committed to the scriptures, but obviously not in, in the way of thinking about the two kingdoms and the kingdom of God and obedience to Jesus. Not just radical obedience, but like just basic obedience to Jesus. And um, so as we got older, after my wife and I got married back in 2008, uh, we were attending just a, a general, typical evangelical church. And... At some point, God turned our world upside down. <laughs> I mean, literally. Um, we read the book, but he literally turned our world upside down. Um, the, the Kingdom That Turned the World Upside Down was a, a book that was very instrumental early on as we started to wrestle with some of these things. And we started to, to look at the, at least the Christianity that, was, that we were surrounded by, that we were participating in and surrounded by, 
and it just didn't seem to connect with the things that we were reading from the scriptures. I mean, I, I grew up going to church, and I knew the Bible stories, and you know, I had read a fair amount of the Bible, but all of a sudden it felt like something had changed. Like I was started reading the scriptures for the first time and actually seeing there's, there's a difference here. Like when you look at the apostles, not just the early church, but just look at like the early, early disciples that are following Jesus, they seem to take him at his word and they just simply obey and take one step at a time. And so that's what my wife and I started to do. We said, okay, we don't, we don't know what to do or where this is going to lead us, um, but we're just going to put one foot in front of the other and take one step at a time. And I think that's, that's what discipleship is. It's, it's movement forward, and it's one step at a time. And sometimes we, get, we can get hung up in wanting to either know what the destination is or to understand the destination, but many times it's just... In that moment, what is that step that I need to take right here, right now, that's going to move me closer to Christ and his kingdom? So <clears throat> I'm going to fast forward in our testimony a little bit. Um, 2011, uh, I took my first trip to Uganda. Um, this was as a result of, one, our world being turned upside down, two, wanting to get outside of of ourselves and what I was used to and what I knew and so I just signed up randomly signed up found online searched go on a mission trip found a random group that was going and um, took a trip in 2011 to Uganda and uh, it was it was a life-changing uh, trip for sure um, no had no idea what the future was going to hold and that, that our family would eventually move there and begin planting a church. Had, none of that was in sight. Um, it was just that process of, okay, I'm just going to take one step at a time. And, and so <clears throat> when I went to Uganda back in 2011, um, I was struck by a lot of things. I was struck by the poverty. Um, it's a very different place than, than America. And if you've never traveled internationally um, outside of the U.S. or Canada, um, it's a very different world in, in most of the, the developing world. So I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity at some point to go somewhere in the developing world, take the opportunity and, and, and see what, what God can do with that trip as you yield yourself to that. Um, so in... Uh, in that trip there, there was the, the group that I was with, I, we had already, I knew that I wasn't fully doctrinally aligned. I don't even know that I knew if I was internally doctrinally aligned at that point yet. But um, I knew what I was against, right? Like I knew the things that I was against. And I think that, that there's probably some of us that can um, understand that. Like a lot of times we know what we're against, but we don't know what we're for. And, and I'm hoping this week to highlight the things that we need to be for as opposed to the things that we need to be against. There are things we need to be, we do need to take stands against things sometimes. Um, Brother Nate actually in his devotion yesterday shared from um, Revelation briefly, he was sharing about the church in Ephesus. And it talks about them leaving their first love. And when you actually read that account, you know, it says you're, that they're against the, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, of, of, of which I also hate. And so it's, it's a good thing. But so they, they, the church in Ephesus seems to really know the things that they are against. 
but they don't seem to really know or understand the things that they are for. And, and what happens is they, they lose sight of Jesus. They lose sight of that first love of what's supposed to be the driving factor behind what they do. So while it's good to know the doctrines or the, the teachings or whatever it may be that we are against, we need to make sure that we also can answer the, the opposite of that and know what we are for. So anyway, like I said, at that time, I don't know where I was at as far as uh, my full belief structure and things, and I think that's something that, that continues to grow and develop as time goes on. Um, but I definitely knew the things I was uncomfortable with uh, with the group that I, I went there with. And uh, one of them had to do with child evangelism. And I, I told the, the person who was leading uh, this trip, I said, hey, I don't really want to go on the evangelism team. I don't want to go out and and do evangelism. I know there's some different schools and things that are that are on the list. I'd rather can I just stay back? I can help I can help with some of the other programs that are going on. Don't really want to be on the evangelism team. Um, and the the coordinator let me know. They said, well, Charlton, the, the challenge is you're the only adult male on the team. <laughs> so we need you to go. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, needless to say, I ended up going. Um, and I, I'm glad I did. I, I learned a lot. Actually, I think there was a lot of perspectives that were formed there. I, I, I went in that first trip to Uganda, I went with an open mind. You know, I wasn't trying to, to go and either, I didn't have something I was trying to prove. I just went with an open mind and open heart and saying, okay, what, what does this look like? How do we, I see how the disciples lived in the scriptures. Um, what does Christianity look like in other parts of the world outside of the American church, at least my small uh, exposure to the American church? And, um, and going out on that team definitely had some points of uh, internal conflict and con contradiction. Um, there was one school that we went to, and uh, I, told the, I had told the coordinator already, I said, listen, when you guys get to that point of like what they called casting the net, um, when you get to that point where you're going to cast the net and get people to ask Jesus into their heart and to say the prayer, like, I know I'm, I'm totally against that. So when you get to that point, I'll just excuse myself. I'll go somewhere else, and you guys can, can do your thing, and I'll, I'll be over to the side doing something. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of how it worked at, at that time. And this one school, uh, we got to that point where they were going to be casting the net and asking these young school children to ask Jesus into their heart and to pray this prayer and, and uh, ask Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And so I, I just had excused myself and went over with some of the, the school coordinators um, that were there. And it was these, uh, these older, um, older men. And uh, there were some women as well, but there was some, some men. And I had went over there and started talking to them. And one of them said, these kids get saved every week. <laughs> <laughs> he said, it's, it's one group after another that comes here and has them say some sort of a prayer and ask them to, to Jesus into their heart. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, it's, if it's not this evangelical group, it's that one. If it's not the Baptist church, then it's the um, sometimes Catholics come here. And, and, it's just, and it, was, it was interesting. That it, was a, it was like a light bulb moment. So I just kind of like pinned it in my mind like, okay. I, I don't know what to make of this. I know it's off. Something's off here, but let me just put a pin here and, and see, see what comes next. So 
that was a, uh, like I said, a, a bit of a light bulb moment that, okay, something is off. We're, okay, we're, we're doing, you know, the American church at this point, I'm thinking, okay, we're doing something, but are we doing what we're actually called to do? And then there was another event that was very um, vivid and uh, that, that played a, a very key role also at that time in my mind. And we went to this particular place um, in Uganda. It actually is uh, over in uh, Entebbe, which I don't know how many of you know Uganda, but Entebbe is where the, the airport is. It's on Lake Victoria, which is one of the largest lakes in the world. And um, when, when we got to this certain area that was on the mainland, um, there was a lot of churches. We went around and we did some kind of door-to-door evangelism and, um, and, and it ended up interacting with different people on the streets, and there was a lot of churches around. I had noticed that. I noticed that there was a lot of church buildings, at least, um, that happened to be in that area. But the other thing I noticed was, seemed like there was a lot of drunkenness. Um, from my limited perspective at that moment, I saw a lot of naked babies, and now, after living in Africa for many years, I realize that's just kind of normal. It's not necessarily a, a, a point of, of poverty or not. A lot of times, people, uh, they, have, they put their outfits on for Sunday, but then during the week, they just kind of wear what they have, and it may be dirty, and it, it may or may not be an indication of poverty in that moment. But in that moment, <laughs> my limited experience, I, uh, I had looked around, and you know, I saw what, I, what seemed to me like a lot of people who were in need, uh, didn't have food, and uh, a lot of drunkenness, um, prostitution. Um, it was in this area, you, you, it was actually pretty noticeable um, that there was prostitution happening. And then... We got into a boat, and we went out on Lake Victoria to this island. And when we got on this island, um, it was a fairly small island, so it had a lot of fishermen. I didn't see a church at all on this island. We interacted with a lot of the people, and it looked almost the same as the mainland. A lot of drunkenness, fishermen who um, um, are you know, drinking, a lot of naked babies running around, a lot of prostitution. Like, it just... Something in my mind, I'm just like, wait a second. I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm probably doing what, what Finney talked about. I'm like doing deductive reasoning here. Like, wait, okay, so when I read the Bible and it looks like the kingdom of God has come upon a place, like something's different. Like Jesus doesn't walk somewhere and go into a town and interact with somebody and people walk away the same. Now, sometimes people walk away like the woman at the well, right? They, they walk away or they run away saying, hey, come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done wrong. And some people walk away sorrowful saying, wow, that was a tough teaching. I, I have to actually give up everything to follow Jesus. And he wants me to sell all that I have and give to the poor. It's just, it's too much. And they end up walking away, right? So either way, no matter what the response is, nobody meets Jesus and walks away the same. And, you know, when, when the kingdom has come upon a place, like, there, there seems to be change. There seems to be transformation that takes place. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm on this island. There's no church. There doesn't seem to be, as far as I have met, there hasn't been anyone that prof- even professes to be a Christian. And then I go over here, and there's plenty of churches, plenty of people that profess to be Christians, but they, they've, like, from visually... They look exactly the same. And I'm like, what's missing? What's broken? And it seemed like the link in the chain that, from, from my limited perspective at that point, it seemed like the link in the chain that's missing 
is discipleship. Like we're getting the, the go part, but where is the teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you? Like the making disciples part is not just about getting someone to make a decision for Christ. There's a command to teach them everything that he has taught, and there's actually a promise attached to it. What is, what is that promise? Exactly, and surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. So at that point, like I said, um, I didn't know what this trip was going to mean, <laughs> but I came back changed. I came back thinking, okay, I, don't, I have no clue what God's calling us to. Um, I, I don't know if he wants us to move to Africa. I don't know if he wants us to adopt. I don't know if he wants us to do something here. I, I, I had more questions than I had answers uh, at that point. And um, so when I came back, um, my wife definitely, I think she could tell, she, she, there was a look in my eye and she's like, we're going we're gonna to be doing something big, right? <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, I don't know what it's going to be, but we'll, we'll see. Um, and at that point, I, was, um, I had actually lived in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. I was a professional firefighter, um, loved my job. Um, it was what I wanted to be as a young boy and had worked to get to that point. Absolutely loved that job. And, and so I started to have this internal wrestle because I have this job that I love, but then I also am, my eyes are being open to Jesus and his kingdom and its demands on my life and how, how he wants to work in and through me and us and all of humanity to see his kingdom established here on earth. And, and so I, I start to have my, this internal battle of what, what steps do I take next? And so one morning I was uh, driving. I had, it was my shift day, and so I was driving in. And um, I took that opportunity. It was early in the morning, so I took that opportunity as I was driving just to kind of have uh, a talk with God. And uh, as I was praying, just asking him to clarify what steps he wants us to take. Uh, open doors, close others, uh, help me to know and understand. Um, I had this internal struggle of the, this verse, that the verse that kept going through my mind is if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. You seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. Because every time that I was thinking like, okay, I think God maybe wants us uh, to give up my job and to look at possibly doing something either here or doing something um, somewhere else or maybe moving to, to Africa. I didn't have clarity at that point, but I just I felt like that's, that's what was being impressed upon me at that time. And as I was, uh, I was praying that, I kept getting that. If you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But then I would quickly be like, right, but like the benefits are really good. <laughs> like the insurance is great. I love the job. I mean, the fire department's like a brotherhood. Like, I mean, there's, there's all these pros that I'm like sifting through in my mind. And then what, as I go through maybe a list of a few of them, if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. Then I go through the next list of pros. Like, I wasn't finding the cons, for sure. <laughs> there's, there's, there's cons as well. But <clears throat> as I was uh, doing that, um, I finally just came to this point of just total surrender and said, okay, I, I don't know what you're calling us to. I don't know what, <laughs> what steps you want us to take, but I need faith to take a step out of the boat and onto the water. So give me that faith. Give me the faith to step out of the boat and onto the water because I don't know what you're calling us to. If you're asking me to give up 
the fire department and to move somewhere, we'll do it. Open doors, help to make it clear so that I know that it's you and not just my own mind thinking of things that I want to do. And then had this little bit of a, a comical moment of saying, okay, you know, because I was at this point like with like Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said. And I, 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 the verse came into my mind that, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And at that point, my wife and I, we had only had um, our youngest child, which was biologically youngest child, which at that point was Ava. And she was just this tiny, tiny, tiny little infant. Um, and so I was thinking, oh boy, how's that going to work for Ava and, and Natasha? <laughs> and so I said, okay, um, I know that that scripture says foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I said, for me, that's fine. I'll, uh, I'll sleep out in the bush, give me some rocks, like I'll, I'll make do. I said, but at least for Ava and Natasha, somehow if there could be housing involved, you know, in my limited thinking in that moment, I'm like, somehow if there could be housing involved, um, that would be great. <laughs> um, and just open doors and make it clear. So later that day, so I have that, that tremendous time with God in the morning. Later that day, I get a phone call. And it takes me a moment because I had only, the, the gentleman who called me, I'd only met him a couple of times at that point. And so it took me a moment to connect the dots of who I was talking to. And, um, and just randomly, he says, hey, I want to let you know that um, our family, we've been praying for you guys. And if you feel like God's asking you to move to Uganda, or sorry, not to Uganda, just to move to Africa, um, there's a house there for you and you guys can go and serve the kingdom of God. And I'm like, I'm looking at my phone. It wasn't this phone, obviously, but looking at it going, um, can, I, can I call you back? <laughs> and I called Natasha. I'm like, okay, you're never going to believe this. And I, I go through the story and I tell her. And, and um, that begins to, that's, that's what launches us then on this journey to begin to disentangle ourselves from the things of this world um, in, when we were living at that time in Kentucky and began that process of us moving to, uh, to Africa. Um, it was a bit of a long process to get to that point. I mean, you don't realize how much stuff you accumulate over time. Um, I mean, I remember having garage sales. I remember at, at some point thinking, man, maybe we, instead of selling the stuff, maybe we, we should just like, like we should pay people to take it because <laughs> it's just, it's not going quick enough. Um, so Eventually, we end up uh, moving in 2014 to, uh, to Kenya, and then 2015, we began the church plant uh, there in Uganda. Um, I want to look now at Judges, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and pull them, um, and I want to look at that passage and make some application Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to be reading from uh, New King James, but it's going to be the Septuagint version. <clears throat> it says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to the place of weeping, and to Bethel, and to the house of Israel, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, I led you up from, from Egypt and brought you to the land I promised your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant 
with the inhabitants of this land, nor worship their gods. But you, but you will destroy their graven images, and you shall tear down their altars. But you did not obey my voice, for you did these things. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, and they shall become as snares, and their God shall be a cause of stumbling for you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the place the place of weeping. And there they made a sacrifice to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, each man went to his inheritance to take possession of his land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who saw every great deed the Lord did for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at 110 years old. And, he buried, excuse me, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Harris on Mount Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. And when all the generation were laid with their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil before the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, their, uh, the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the nations all around them, and they bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths, and the Lord was enraged with anger at Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers. He delivered them, in, uh, sorry, uh, who ravaged them and sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. As a result, they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever they went out of the, out of the, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had spoken... And as the Lord had sworn to them, he greatly distressed them. So as we think about this theme of discipleship, as we think about the, the link in the chain that's missing, I want to highlight a couple things from this story. If you're familiar with the, the book of Judges, um, this is a very dark time in Israel's history. Um, it's, a, it's a historical tragedy, if we want to put it in one of those uh, genres when we, when we read it. it. It starts out, things are not the best um, as we go from tr- uh, the time period of Joshua into the time period of the Judges, and, and the book just gets worse and worse and worse. It goes from bad to worse very quickly, and, and just when it seems like it can't get any worse, Somehow it does. Um, I think that's a, it's, it's obviously a generalization, but it's, I think it's a, a, an, a decent one for the, for the book of Judges. Um, but here at the beginning, it's a reminder of how they were delivered and brought into God's promise. Once again, it's, it's a reminder of the, the testimony of what God has done among his people. And, and what does this cause? It causes them, um, well, one, they didn't obey God's voice. They, they served other gods. They didn't go in. It was an incomplete, con, uh, an in, incomplete conquest as they go into the promised land. So they don't fully um, uh, evict the, uh, the inhabitants of the land. And uh, because of their disobedience, now their, their neighbors are going to become snares and a point of stumbling for them as a people. And the people begin to weep over their sin. They recognize, oh, 
we have disobeyed. We haven't listened to the voice of Yahweh. And they weep over their sin. And it says here, at least it indicates uh, to whatever degree that they, they served Yahweh, at least during the days of, of Joshua and some of the elders after him. But then what happens? It says that a new generation rises up. And what does it say about that generation? Go ahead. Yeah, so a new generation rises up and they, they don't know God. They don't know the things that he's done. The testimony of God among his people has been lost. And so this new generation rises up and they don't know Yahweh. They don't know the testimony. They don't know the stories. And so they do what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this becomes the reoccurring cycle of the book of Judges. Continually, uh, you know, it'll say, and a new generation rises up again um, who does not know God and does what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so what is, it can cause us to stop and think, well, what's the problem? And it seems like there's a problem on the, the, the exiting generation, right? The generation before to be able to teach and to disciple and to instill these things to their children so that they can faithfully walk in obedience to the covenant that, that Yahweh has brought them. And it was to be a reminder, as you could see uh, at the be beginning of chapter 2 there, a reminder of what God has done, how I brought you out on eagles' wings with outstretched arms and a mighty hand. I delivered you from the land of Egypt. This was supposed to be the, the reoccurring sound within Israel about God's redemption among his people and that he wanted to do something in them he wanted to do something with them and through them for the good of the rest of the world. And we're going to get into that uh, a little bit in some of the later sessions as we, begin to, as we begin to look at the bigger picture of salvation and what that is supposed to, to do, not only for us individually, but for the sake of the world around us. Deuteronomy 4 is a reminder uh, that we should go and tell uh, in Deuteronomy 4, it says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. How quickly do we forget things many times, even as, as they did? I mean, this is the warning back in Deuteronomy. Don't forget the things that you have seen. Tell them, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. This is the burden of discipleship. I'm reminded of a, um, I don't know if you all know, know the song. Sometimes I have to sing the tune in my head, um, Count Your Blessings. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Does anybody else know that song? Okay, good. <laughs> Didn't know it at first if, if everybody was on the same page. But um, it's, a, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a nice little tune, it's a nice little song. And, and sometimes that, that little song is, is helpful because especially in the midst of a challenge or a struggle um, or whatever you may be facing, it can be hard to count your blessings. And it can be, sometimes we forget the ways that God has worked in our lives and in our hearts. And, and in that moment, we, we can become, uh, we can allow that cloud of, of the circumstance or situation to really, to bring us down. And I'm always encouraged when, uh, when I, when you see Paul, he says, I have learned to be content 
in all situations. Like, okay, good. It's something that can be learned. <laughs> it's something that he himself even had to learn to be content in all situations. But nonetheless, we need to remember the things that God has done for us, just as the, the cry for Israel is for them to remember what God has done for them as a people and how he brought them out and how their redemption was not only supposed to be for them, but was supposed to be something that affected the whole world around them. So does anybody know what, by the time you get to the book of Judges, um, what are the, especially the very last verse of the book of Judges, but this is repeated several times in the last few chapters. Does anybody know what, what is mentioned? Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, and there was no king in Israel, and, and a man did what was right according to his own vision. Um, that becomes the reoccurring, I think that categorizes the book very well. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. <clears throat> The beautiful thing for us is that we have a king, right? And, and our king has a vision. And his vision includes us. It includes what he wants to do in us and through us for the rest of the world. And my hope and my prayer is that this week, um, some of you might, might already have a vision for the kingdom. Some of you might be wondering, what is my place in the kingdom? Some of you might not even yet be fully disciples uh, of Jesus. And my hope and prayer is that you will, will know by the end of the, this week what steps you might, not even steps, what step you need to take next in your relationship with Christ to move deeper and to, to allow God to work in you and through you for the good of others. There's a story uh, about three builders. I'm not sure. Some of you might be familiar with this story. It's, it's one that's very powerful to me. I, I reflect on it quite often. And there was this man who was walking, and he could see that some construction was happening. And he walks up to the first man, and he says to him, excuse me, sir, what are you, what are you building? And the man looks at him, and you know, he's puzzled a little bit, like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm adding into the story here, I'm working and, you know, I, why are you distracting me? He's like, I, I'm, I'm building a wall. And, okay, he moves to the next man and sees him working, says, excuse me, sir, uh, may I ask, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying bricks. And he moves on and he finds the third man and he asks him, sir, what are you doing? And the man steps back and he goes, I'm building a cathedral. So the last man had a vision, right? The last man knew that he wasn't just laying bricks. He wasn't just building a wall. He knew that every brick that he took and every piece of mortar that he put in between and placed it, he was doing the same thing as the other two guys, but he had a vision for what he was doing, right? And sometimes in the mundane, we, we might be asking our own selves, like, what are we doing? I'm going to another Bible study, or I'm meeting up with someone for coffee, or, you know, whatever, whatever that brick may be. But we need to keep in sight the bigger picture that's at play, that God has called us into a kingdom, and he's invited us to be participants 
and bringing new creation here on earth. The importance of questions. Um, I'm not sure how it is for some of you. My family and I lived in East Africa for, for almost eight years. And I found that um, in that culture, um, or at least the, the limited pieces of culture that I was a part of, um, that asking questions was actually a negative thing. Um, asking questions means rebellion. We don't ask questions. If, if your teacher or your parent or your pastor or whoever it may be that's in front of you, if you ask them a question, why are you asking the question? This is just what we do. Um, this is just how it is. This is just the answer. And even, even their, their approach to academics and school is a very much a rote memorization. It's not about, about understanding the answers and how to get to them. It's just about knowing the right answer. Um, and that's not Jesus. Um, it's interesting. If you look in, in Mark chapter 4, um, Jesus gives the, the parable of the sower. And, and after this, it says that his disciples came to him alone, and they said, Master, why do you speak to them in parables? And you know, they're wanting, they're wanting clarity. And he says, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And then he goes in and he explains the parable. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he, does he mean that all of a sudden they, <clears throat> they were going to have some sort of supernatural um, access that's going to tell them all the mysteries of the kingdom and all the parables and all the understanding. No, it's because they came to Jesus and they asked for clarification. They came to him alone and said, Master, what does this mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. To you it's been granted to have the mystery of the kingdom. So we need to, to recognize not only the power of our testimony, but we need to recognize the importance of asking questions. Brother Finney's first session this morning was all about asking questions, about coming to the scriptures. And, and in our asking questions, it's, it should stem from a sincere desire to want to know. So our question should come from a sincere desire to want to know. And I believe God blesses that. And sometimes we may come with our doubts and our concerns. Um, Someone had mentioned earlier during Brother Finney's session that, you know, sometimes it, it can seem like, you know, the Bible is, is I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but um, can seem like it's a little bit big and it can be overwhelming. And, you know, how does, how does this story connect to this story? How does that passage connect to this passage? And, and sometimes it can just get so overwhelming that it's just like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, how do you make sense of of the stories in the Old Testament with the stories in the New, and even the stories in the Old Testament, how do you connect them? And, and that, in our time in, in uh, East Africa, that seemed to be a big question for a lot of people as well. It was hard for them. Um, and when we, would, when we would do classes, we would encourage people, like, if you don't walk away from this class with, with not having questions, then we're, we're doing something wrong. Like, I, I encourage questions. I think questions are the way that we discover things. God created us as these curious creatures. Um, and now that curiosity can be used for destruction. It can go in the wrong direction. And, 
and many, many people in, in, the, in the broken world around us have, have gone in that way. Um, but questions can also lead us to discover who God is and what he wants out of our lives. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you all a few questions here. And can anybody tell me what this is a picture of? And why does it matter? Okay, good. A blank piece of paper. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Does anybody want to uh, debate Joshua over that point? I think it's a snowy yard. A snowy yard, okay. We've got a blank piece of paper, a snowy yard. All right, what, any other interpretations happening here? A white wall. A white wall? Okay, a white wall. The sky, okay. Go. Is that your thought too? The sky, okay. We got two for for sky. Okay, a screenshot of some some digital media. Sorry. Some noise in there. Okay. So how how can we go about um, proving who's right? We've heard snow. We've heard white paper. We've heard a wall. We've heard digital media. How do we how do we know who's right? Go to the source. <laughs> Go to the source. Very good. What were you going to say, Marcus? I was going to say, ask the guy who put it up there. Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> zoom yeah. out. Zoom out. There you go. That is. Go to the source. Zoom out is, is, the, is the next one. So now what's a, a picture of this? Okay, brush. Broken rice. Broken rice. Ice. Oh, ice. Okay, broken ice. The last picture zoomed out. The last. <laughs> the last picture zoomed out. Could be. Yeah, because I could. You know, could have been zoomed in on a on a speck. Okay. Any other thoughts? Go ahead. Another part of the same picture. Maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. We, we don't know, right? Do we, do we have enough data points to be able to, to make some clear interpretations and, and some application based off of it? No, we don't, right? Okay. Now, what if we zoom out of the first picture? What is, what is it now? Looks like a sky. Okay, great. And so if we, we zoom out on the next one, hey, we've got some grass. Okay, so now we at least know that the first two pictures, the first time... You know, I think if we went around the room, everybody would say sky and grass, right? How many different ideas or interpretations do we have in the first two slides? Quite a few, right? Uh, definitely more than two. And um, so now we're, we're starting to see, okay, we're zoomed out. We can see a little bit of the picture, but maybe, like, like Dom's saying, maybe this is part of one picture. Maybe it's not. How does the sky relate to the grass? We... We know how the sky relates to the, the grass, at least in general, right? But maybe not in specific. So <clears throat> we need to be able to zoom out to see the whole picture. And once we've zoomed out and asked the right questions and we can glance at the whole picture, what does that give us a better ability to do? To understand the relationship between each of the individual pictures, right? And that's 
how approaching the scriptures is. We need to make sure that we, we understand the, the grand picture, the big story that's at play. And when we understand that, we can better understand and interpret the pieces and how they relate to our life. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> what time what time do I go till? Is anybody now? Oh, where's Clayton? Till 12. Okay. Okay. So we have about 30 minutes here. All right. <clears throat> so as we think about the reason that we're all here, I actually want to spend a little bit of time um, this, uh, this morning kind of going around and being able to hear from, from each of you. So I'm going to put you all on the spot. Uh, and I'm hopeful that we can hear from, from everybody. Uh, but I'm sure that each of you are here for a purpose. Um, and I, I'd love to hear that purpose. And if you, if you don't know, if your answer is, you know, I don't know why I'm here. I haven't, I haven't even figured it out myself. That's OK. That's an OK answer. Um, but I think it would be beneficial for, for myself, and I think for all of us to hear, why are we here? Why did you decide to come to uh, City on a Hill Bible School? Um, was it the topic? Was it because, you know, what, whatever that is, I don't want to put answers into your mouth. So uh, whatever that is, we're going to go around here in just uh, a little bit and be able to um, be, have an opportunity to hear from everybody. But one of the important things is that unlike the time period, as I mentioned before, unlike the time period of the, of the judges, when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own vision, we have, as I mentioned, we have a king and he has a vision. And he's invited us into that story to be participants in that. And that vision is very well clearly articulated. I don't think we have to try to come up with something really fancy that sounds the greatest. We can just simply go to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? As it is in heaven. That's the vision. That's the vision. For the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And the way in which we do that is through the process of making disciples in all the earth. That's the vision and that's the mission that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. So I hope that we can all begin to think about practical ways in our everyday life. One of the big things for my, myself and my wife Natasha, she'll be coming in at some point throughout this week, so hopefully you get to meet her and some of the children. Um, but one of the big things early on in our journey was what can we do where we're at with what we have? What can we do where we're at with what we have? Because one of my, one of my problems or one of my challenges, I'm a big picture thinker. And being a big picture thinker, I always kind of look at like where I want to be. Um, and when I do that, I don't always know the steps I need to take to actually get there. <laughs> but uh, a lot of times I look at where I want to be um, or where I hope to be, and I miss all the opportunities that are right there in front of me. Oh, I want to be over here and planting a church. I want to be here and make disciples. I want to be here and do this, whatever that may be, fill in the blank. 
and, and that's, it's okay to have that. It's good to set those goals. It's good to think in those terms, but not at the expense of actually missing the everyday, every moment opportunities that are right in front of you, right here, right now. And God has given us the resources that we need to live um, in godliness. And we don't need to, to always be looking to the next thing to, make, to, to reach that goal. So <clears throat> we're going to ask why. Um, and the, the, in the spirit of asking questions, I think why is a good question to begin with. And the why begins to inform a lot of the other questions. When we know the why, we can begin to think about the what. When we know the what, we can think about the where and the who. Um, so each question leads to helping inform the next set of questions that we ask in our mind. So we're going to start with this question and go around the room and give you guys some time and opportunity um, to just share, why am I here? And um, we'll start maybe, maybe we'll start with Nate at the back table and then kind of zigzag our way around the room. 